7. So the Gospel according to John, chapter 15, and we'll be looking at the first 11 verses. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, neither Can you bear fruit unless you remain in me? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Thank you, Jason. Well, thank you and good morning. Uh, Firstly, thank you for the warm welcome this morning. Uh, Me and my family uh, enjoy sharing fellowship with you all and that uh, they had hot chocolates and coffee as we came into church was an extra bonus. My children are asking me, why don't we have this at St Andrews? (laughs) So firstly, thank you for your warm welcome. And secondly, uh, just uh, from your church family, your brothers and sisters in uh, St Andrews, we extend to you our uh, Christian fellowship and our love. Uh, and it's a great uh, privilege we have to be able to swap pulpits over uh, these uh, coming weeks. Uh, we're certainly enjoying it at St Andrews, and we pray that you will as well. And lastly, I've got to say, this is the most solid pulpit I've ever preached from. <laughs> I think it must be illustrative of the ministry of Carl and Steve, I reckon. <laughs> Friends, uh, let me lead you in prayer as we come before God's word. Father, we are ever grateful today that we gather together as your sons and daughters and we are ever grateful for the wonderful good news of your gospel which brings us life. Father, we come to you as those who are hungry. Lord, we've experienced the glory and the wonder of your salvation in Jesus and we desire to know more fully your love, your grace, your power and your work of grace in our lives, readying us for glory. So tonight, today, Lord, we come and confess to you our emptiness and we come to rest in Christ's fullness and we pray that you'll attend with power the truth of your word this morning, that none of us would leave untouched or unchanged by your spirit in your word working through your gospel in our lives. 
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, I attended a, a breakfast. Um, I'm a cricket umpire. You may not think uh, know that, but I umpire cricket games in Launceston, and we had a breakfast. And sitting next to me was a friend of mine called Salty. Now, of course, that's his nickname, and we were talking football. Uh, and he told me, actually, he said to me that he used to work for the Richmond Football Club as a talent scout in, in Tasmania, right here. Uh, he was a talent scout in the days of Matthew Richardson, if any of you may know uh, that name. So I thought, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. So I asked Salty and I said, Salty, what's the key characteristic that you look for in a potential recruit? And he said to me that whenever he rang up the Richmond Club and said, I've got someone you might be interested in, they always, without fail, would ask him this question. Can they run? So what he said to me, it doesn't matter if they were a full forward or a halfback or a defender. If they couldn't run, the Richmond Football Club didn't want them. Now, if you've ever seen a game of AFL, you'll realise and you'll know that getting to the ball first is of paramount importance. So all of those, everyone who aspires to be an AFL player, speed is essential. It's not negotiable. You need to be fast. What about those of us this morning who aspire not to play AFL, but to experience the fullness of God himself? What is the essential factor that makes it possible for us to experience the fulfilment of our Christian aspirations to know the living God ever more deeply and fully. Our Christian aspirations to accomplish our God-given purpose. What is that essential factor that makes it possible for us to experience our Christian aspirations of entering into eternity safe in the Lord, of our prayers being heavenly and prevailing prayers, of experiencing the true happiness that comes from the gospel of Christ? Well, there's only ever one answer to that question, and it's this. Christ only and only Christ. See, if speed is paramount to those who aspire to play AFL, then Christ is paramount for those who aspire to live a heavenly life today. And and in friends, the the scriptures give us ample testimony that at the very centre of our Christian faith, of your Christian faith, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For example... Open up to Ephesians chapter 1 and you'll you'll read there that the Apostle Paul declares that Christ alone makes possible not only your salvation but your sanctification, your growth in holiness. Christ is at the centre of both. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells us that every promise, every promise in the scripture, without exception, finds its yes, not in the church, but in Christ, in Christ. In Colossians, we will read that Christ was at the very centre of creation. Christ is at the very centre of our salvation. And if you flick open to the book of Revelation, you'll see that Christ is at the very centre of the closing of this world. Which means that if you or a church were to move Christ from the centre of its life, teaching and ministry and were to place something or someone else at that central position then that church would be cutting its people off from the only source of life and salvation itself. And this is precisely the position we find the Roman Catholic Church at the time of a Reformation in the 6th century. Now, to be sure, uh, don't misunderstand me, Christ Jesus was not excluded from the Roman Catholic Church, 
from its life teaching or ministry, but they moved Christ to the periphery. And what did they put in Christ's place? They set up a religion that was dependent upon the church, the priest and good works, which meant that for everyone who aspired to know the living God, for those who sought to fulfil their God-given purposes, to be cleansed from their sin, to be made right with God, they had to come to the church and to the priest who would offer them only that which Christ is able to give. And of course, then came the Reformation, a work of God's grace, that great awakening where Martin Luther and others challenged the church at Rome. They declared that the Bible alone is our highest authority, not the church. They declared that we're saved by faith in Christ alone and not faith plus good works. They declared that we're saved by the grace of God alone, that we live for the glory of God alone and that Christ alone is Lord, Saviour and King. And as the saying goes, the rest is history, isn't it? Because what began in Germany those many hundreds of years ago spread throughout Europe and over the centuries the influence of a Reformation has been felt in every country in the world. It's incredible. And even us here who sit here today are feeling the effects of that Reformation. And most importantly though, it needs to continue to be felt, doesn't it? Because here it is. The propensity to push for Lord Jesus Christ out to the periphery of your church and indeed your own life is just as strong today as it was at the time in the Middle Ages. I see it all the time as a minister, all the time. At churches that are centred on a personality, believing that a particular minister or a pastor or a program is the key to their spiritual success. At churches, while professing to believe in Christ, are more persuaded by human reason than the authority of Scripture. Are Christians who, who in, in good conscience, seeking to fulfil their godly aspirations, look not to Christ, but to the latest Christian fad, the latest Christian author or movement. And that is why this morning you and I have a need to remind one another of that great Reformation truth of Christ alone. And the reason being is that all of our godly aspirations, without exception, find their fulfilment not in your wisdom or in your strength or in your energy or in your pastor or in your church, but through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And this is exactly what the Lord is teaching his disciples in John chapter 15. In these verses, Christ declares that he is the true vine, the Father is the vine dresser, and we are the branches. And we'll have the first slide, thanks. Let me reread to you verses 1 to 4. I'm reading from the ESV, so my apologies that it's a different version. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Now, I must admit that this is one of my favourite passages in the whole of Scripture because the imagery that Christ gives to us is so deep and profound and yet so simple to be able to apprehend. See, the imagery of a grapevine is intended to bring before our minds the fundamental truth that in Christ Jesus is everything you need for life and salvation. But to understand what Jesus is saying here, I need to bring to your attention the workings of a grapevine. Now, I'm no great horticologist, 
But let me tell you what I've, I've gained from the internet. <laughs> in the horticultural world, the grapevine is the channel through which all the nutrition and water flows to the branches. So that from the vine comes the sustenance for the branch. The branch can't exist in isolation of a vine. The sap and everything that's needed, that it needs to bear fruit, must come from the vine. But not only that, from the vine comes the strength that upholds the branch. A branch just can't hang there by itself. It needs a strong vine to keep it there. And if you want to see this for yourself, then after church this afternoon, take a drive down the West Tamer towards Exeter. And you look at all the beautiful vineyards and you'll see all these vines feeding and upholding thousands upon thousands of branches. So when Jesus takes the imagery of a vine and he applies it to himself and the imagery of a branch and applies it to us, he is saying to us that in him is everything we need for our daily lives and eternal salvation. I'm the wellspring of a life. You want to flourish? then you need to be united to me. I'm the one who upholds you. In me is the wisdom, the righteousness, the holiness, the redemption you need. Now, if Christ is our true vine, from whom we receive life itself, and if we are the branches, then what God requires of us, according to verse 4, is that we abide in him. And right here is the radical message of the gospel. See, because to abide in Christ is nothing more or nothing less than an act of faith. It's where you reach out to Christ and cling to him alone. It's where you give up of yourself, your right to be ruled, taught and and led yourself, and give that over to Jesus. Uh, To abide in Christ, this is not a suggestion. Christ is not saying, I think it's a good idea if you abide in me. In fact, this is... It's an imperative. His commanding and and, and implied in this command has to be an abandoning of your self-will, your self-dependence and your self-rule. The person who abides in Jesus rests in him and him alone and no one else to provide them with everything they need for life and salvation. So let me give you some examples. We all have godly aspirations to know Jesus more deeply, don't we? We long for that every day. You wake up in the morning and you want to know Christ more, don't you? You you want to obey the Lord more fully. You, You want to grow in your love for others. Such desires are to lead you to Jesus, to come to him and by faith call upon and rest in him to fill you with his infinite power to fulfill his will. My sisters and brothers, what Christ is calling us to do is to give our absolute dependence upon him. We are being called to to, to believe that in Christ, and Christ alone, is everything we need for life and salvation. We are being called to believe that as Christ could do nothing apart from the Father, we can do nothing apart from Christ. Christ is most certainly the source of our salvation, but he models for us what it means to truly live as a human. Christ depended upon the Father for everything. He's modelling for us that we're to depend upon him for everything. The question that confronts all of us this morning, I think is the most important question, is do you believe this? Do you believe that in Christ Jesus is everything you need for your daily life and salvation? And if you do, 
then are you abiding in Christ to be your true vine? So if this morning you are frustrated by the lack of fruitfulness in your life, if you are discouraged by sins that just seem to be immovable, and you're wondering why God's promise of victory over sin seems so far off in your life, then you need to ask yourself a question. Am I abiding in Christ? Am I by faith resting and calling upon him to give me that which I need to do his will? Our problem, and I include myself in this, is so often in the midst of our sin, our trials and our troubles, and we have many, don't we? I think they increase as you get older, to be honest. But in those times we foolishly think we can work through these things in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own intellect. That's our propensity, it's certainly mine. We're so often slow to acknowledge our emptiness and because of this, we fail to come to Jesus who in his love has everything we need to heal our broken marriages, to overcome our sinful habits, to reconcile our broken relationships and provide our every need for wisdom and help. Now Christ's description of himself as the true vine teaches us that not only does our life and salvation depend upon Christ, but so does our fruitfulness. If we can have a second slide, please. Let me reread to you verses 4 and 6. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, in a vineyard, uh, fruitlessness, rather, in a vineyard, fruitfulness is not simply desirable, it's imperative, isn't it? I mean, you look at a winery, and they've got vines, they need grapes, in fact, the other week I was in my garden and as I overlooked my grapevine, because I, 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 well, I had a grapevine, I came to the conclusion I had to rip it out. The reason being is that I've had it in the ground for four years and not one bunch of grapes. Not one. Now, here's the thing, though. It was big, it grew every year, it had heaps of foliage, but no grapes. Uh, There was nothing wrong with its uh, strength of its roots because I broke my shovel handle trying to lift it out. (laughs) Friends, what is the point of a grapevine that does not produce grapes? And so just like the grapevine, we too have been united to Jesus, which is an incredible gift, to bear good, abundant and eternal fruit. Now, what is this fruit? Well, let me share with you what the scriptures teach us about the fruit in the Christian life. It speaks of the fruit of repentance. Do you know when you turn away from that sin, and we all, we all need to repent, that, 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 that turning away from sin and turning to the things of Christ, that's the fruit. There's a fruit of righteousness, living godly lives, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. The Bible speaks of the fruit of good works and the fruit of the gospel itself. When people come to faith, see, the fruit that God requires of us 
is the godliness, the holiness, the righteousness that comes through the work of the Spirit. And so what Christ is teaching us in these verses is that the fruitfulness that we all long for and the fruitfulness that God requires can only be fulfilled in Christ alone. See, the only means in which we can fulfil our aspirations to bear good and abundant fruitfulness is if we obey God's command to abide or rest in Christ. See, this means that we need to humble ourselves, don't we? Before Christ daily, calling upon the Lord Jesus to fill us with a life-giving spirit so that from within our lives we'll well up that good fruit of the gospel. See, notice in these verses the command is to abide in Christ. Jesus never commands us to bear good fruit in this passage. He promises it. The command is to abide. The promise is that whoever abides in Christ, Christ will produce in him much fruit. See, what this means, it's up to us by faith to do the abiding. It's up to Christ to do the producing. Jesus himself has told us in the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, that the Father has commissioned, set and sealed him, the Lord Jesus, set him apart for the very purpose of giving us, in the language of John chapter 6, the food that endures for eternal life. This is Christ's commissioning. The Lord Jesus is our high priest in heaven, ministering on our behalf right now, ministering into our lives all that we need to produce the good fruit that Father requires. Friends, these verses I pray this morning are a means of encouragement and assurance for each one of us. Because while in our emptiness we cannot produce the good, abundant fruit that comes from the gospel that God requires, but through our abiding in Christ, he promises, Christ promises to produce it in each one of us. So here's my encouragement. If this morning you are weary and worn out from the daily grind of life, if you feel there is absolutely no energy left over from all that you have to do in life and you feel worn out, then take heart for your resting in Christ, your humbling yourself before him and your seeking his wisdom, his power and his life will never be in vain. See, such faith in Christ, such obedience to his command to abide will never be in vain. And in time, he will fulfil his promise to bear much fruit in your life. So once again, Christ's description of himself as the true vine and we as his branches teaches us so many things. It teaches us that our salvation depends solely upon Christ as does our fruitfulness. And according to verses 7 and 8, the effectiveness of our prayers also depend upon Christ. If we have the third slide, please. Let me just reread to you verses 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now, friends, it's unmistakable what Christ is saying here and sometimes we put a lot of qualifications in this verse. But hear what Christ is saying. He's promising to make effective the prayers of those who abide in him and whose word abides in them. That is an astounding promise. 
What it means is, is that when you humble yourself before the Lord Jesus in prayer, when you acknowledge your emptiness and you come to rest in his fullness and you come to Christ with prayers that accord to the holy word of God, he's promising to fulfil those prayers in your life. Christ Jesus is assuring us that our praying for his will to be done in our lives will never be in vain. He's promising to make such prayers effective. But let me give you some examples. When you come into the Lord, to the Lord in prayer, humbly confessing your emptiness and seeking from Christ the wisdom you need to make godly decisions in whatever area of life it's for you, he's promising to lead you in godliness. Is that not his will for you? Does that not accord to what God's word says? That in every decision they are driven and governed by the, by the glory and the power and the goodness and the holiness of the Lord. If you come to the Lord Jesus asking you, Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation, but I want to do your will and I want to honour you, is Christ going to turn away that prayer? Not at all. Or when you come to Christ by faith, calling him to fill you with his spirit, that you would overcome a particular sin that seems to have taken hold of your life. He's promising to do this for you. Why? Because your overcoming of sin is according to his will. That's what his word teaches us. That we, we grow into the likeness of Christ, turning away from evil and turning towards righteousness. Let me ask you this morning. If you come to Christ with a sin that you can't overcome and you desperately seek to overcome it and plead before the Lord Jesus to, 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 to lead you in repentance, is he going to turn his back on you? Of course not. See, in these verses, the Lord Jesus is promising to make effective all of our prayers for ourselves that harmonise with the word of God. I ask you this morning, is there any greater encouragement you need to spend time in prayer for yourself concerning your life and salvation? Uh, Let me give you an example. It's kind of make-believe. Let's imagine that this week you're going for a job interview and you happen to know... At the end of that job interview, you'll definitely get the job. How would you approach that interview? Surely you'd have confidence, wouldn't you? You'd have a sense of joy. There'd be expectation. You know the job's yours. This is just a formality. and You'd go to it not wondering and doubting and thinking, will this happen? You'd go there knowing it will. I reckon you'd go to that job interview with confidence and great expectation. And the promise that Jesus will make effective the prayers of all those who by faith abide in Christ and call upon him to do his will in their life ought to move each of us to daily, fervent, bold and persistent praying. I think James is right when he tells us in his letter, do you remember James says we do not have because we do not ask? Uh, The great author, 18th century author J.C. Ryle makes, I think, the astute observation Christ is more willing to give to us than we are to ask of him. And I reckon, and I include myself in this, so often we struggle unnecessarily through our neglect of resting and calling upon the Lord Jesus. If this morning, like me, you aspire to experience ever more fully the fullness of God himself, to know the living Lord Jesus ever more deeply, to continue and to grow in fulfilling his will for your life in holiness and righteousness, 
uh, to enter into your heavenly rest safe in Christ, to prevail in godly, Christ-centred praying, to experience the joy of a gospel, which no human joy can ever match, by the way. If, that's like, if you, like me this morning, have those desires, then your life must be embedded in Christ because he is your true vine. And the third slide, please, or the last one, sorry. In him is everything you need for life and salvation, everything. In Christ alone, we fulfil our God-given purpose to bear good, eternal and abundant fruit. And in Christ alone, our prayers are truly made effective. So this morning, hear the word of the Lord and abide in Christ and him alone, for he is our only hope and certainty for our life and salvation. Let me lead you in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your infinite goodness and the generosity that you pour into our lives, upholding, guiding, guarding daily. And we thank you that you draw near to us, you fill us with your spirit that we will do your will, and even in our struggles and our sins, you show such gentleness and forbearance with each one of us. Father, we thank you for Christ. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your work of grace in our lives. We ask this morning, help us to hear what you're saying through your word. May we, by faith, ever more deeply rest in you and you alone. We pray this morning that through our resting, you will produce in us that which we desire, that fruitfulness of life in an ever greater measure. Lord, we pray that you may lead us to fervent, Christ-centred praying through which we apprehend all the good gifts you promise us that our lives will be ever more deeply growing in your likeness. Father, we thank you for the sending of your Son for our salvation, our sanctification and our glorification. Lord Jesus, help us each day to rest in you alone. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, Jason. Great analogy, the vine, isn't it? 